in the Midwest the vast majority of my life. I think it's a very special place. When you think about tech and entrepreneurship, I think there's a number of things that make the Midwest special. That's Betsy Ziegler, CEO of 1871 in Chicago. She's here to tell us why to build your startup right here in the Midwest, what corporations can do to help, and why we should care. Special thanks to New Resources Consulting for sponsoring this episode. I'm Jason Montag, and welcome to episode 106 of Executive Stories on Hashtag Midwest. We are very excited to bring you this special episode as one of our six-part series on the strength of the Midwest and really all of the opportunities we have for our region. We were actually able to speak with six incredibly effective and important executives from around the Midwest in a pretty short period of time, and we got their opinions and advice all about our region, and we just felt like we needed to share it with uh, our audience. We touched on entrepreneurship, corporate innovation, Midwest culture, investing, all the natural advantages in the Midwest, and much, much more. We definitely hope you enjoy. Hi, Betsy. Thanks for sitting down to chat with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your role? I'm Betsy Ziegler. I'm the CEO of 1871. 1871 is a nonprofit innovation hub based in Chicago. We were ranked the number one private incubator in the world, and we exist to inspire, equip, and support founders, growth scalers, and innovators building extraordinary businesses. So what do you feel in your mind is compelling about living and working in the Midwest? I've lived in the Midwest the vast majority of my life. I think it's a very special place. When you think about tech and entrepreneurship, I think there's a number of things that make the Midwest special. First of all, uh, this is where the customers are. So if you're building a company in California that serves enterprises, you're getting on an airplane. If you build a company that serves enterprises in the Midwest, you are either uh, you know, a walk or a uh, you know, Uber ride away or maybe a couple hour drive. But with 37 Fortune 500 companies headquartered in Chicago and about 150 um, within a couple hour driving distance, we are the center for customers. That's number one. Number two, I think, is talent. Mm-hmm. We have tremendous um, talent in, in the Midwest, uh, young to more senior with um, several of the top-ranked universities in the world based in the Midwest, including several of the top-ranked engineering and computer science programs. That's number two. Number three, I think, is a commitment to diversity. Chicago has the highest percentage of female founders of anywhere in the country at about 34%. National average is somewhere between 18 and 20. So no matter how you cut it, we have this uh, tremendous opportunity with with diverse talent here in the Midwest. Now, could we be better? Of course, but we are we are a step ahead. Yes. Um, and then I think I would say two other things. One is uh, the, the core values of and culture of people living in the Midwest. I think there's a general principle that uh, when one succeeds, we all succeed. This is not a zero-sum game kind of region. Uh, part of why it's such a wonderful place to live. But more than that, I think, is the the opportunity to deeply connect to the communities that you live in. You touched on a number of things, customer, talent, culture. Maybe let's take the first one, customers, or the Midwestern marketplace. So if you were to draw a line around the Midwest and compare our GDP as a region to countries around the globe, 
we'd actually be the fourth largest economy on the planet. That means we're bigger than Brazil, bigger than India, bigger than Russia. Um, what do you make of that? And does that surprise you? So that stat doesn't surprise me uh, pr predominantly because of the number of massive corporations that are headquartered within that region that you identified. I think that the world doesn't necessarily know that. And I think the opportunity we have and and one of um, a few gaps we have is that the perception of the Midwest isn't the reality, at least spoken by a person who's spent the vast majority of her life in the Midwest. So I think that you know people on the coast would be wild, wildly surprised by that stat, I do not think people that are living here in those in those economies do. I mean, I live in Chicago, we're the third biggest uh, city, certainly in the United States, uh, just shy of a trillion dollars. And um, you know, we're, we're it's it's not hard to understand that when you're certainly when you're living in Chicago. With thirty five percent of the Fortune five hundred companies coming right here from the Midwest, what do you think the role is of big corporations and you know what what role do they play in fostering a culture of innovation and i guess the bigger question is are they getting the job done yeah well i think i, I it, are they getting the job done is sort of an interesting question because i think it depends on which frame of reference so these companies play a massive role in the innovation economy both from the perspective of how do they continue to innovate inside their own walls to drive job growth and, you know, continued success that continues to let them flourish in the Midwest, which has the benefit for all of us, of course. And then I think there's another role. Uh, so I think they're doing a great job on that part of the role. I think there's another role of how they're connected to the small, right? How do we connect the big to the small and the small to the big in the Midwest? And I do not think we are doing a good enough job on that front. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for it. I think uh, back to the point I made about perception, I think most of the executive teams that I get a chance to speak to, of which there are there are many, we have many partners uh, that are their corporate leaders, their teams get on airplanes to go find the, the best companies to partner with. They do not consider, as a general rule, those that are in the backyard. There are 3,200 startups in Chicago, 460 of them are data analytics advanced analytics types of companies. Why on earth are you getting on an airplane to go to Silicon Valley or to New York to find an advanced analytics company, right? Yeah. That we are, we are right here. There's a density of those. They're led by diverse leaders. They come out of the world's leading research institutions, right? They're right here. So that, you know, I think that's a big problem. And I think a lot of that is awareness and, and frankly, uh, organizations like mine, you know, among many others in Chicago and across the Midwest to create, to make it easy, to reduce friction on that, to, to, to share what those companies are, to put them in front of, uh, of the big. And then, you know, I think the last thing I would say is every, every major company that I have the opportunity to work with, they're on a, there's a maturity curve when you think about corporate innovation it, with respect to interacting with those external to, the company and that maturity curve looks really different. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I think it's important to think about 
when I interact with corporates, as they imagine how they're going to connect to the external ecosystem, meaning the ecosystem defined outside of, you know, the, the radius around their own corporate environment, some of them are very mature in that regard and have done things like uh, set up venture funds inside the company and are creating companies inside the company that they then have the opportunity to spin out if that's the right answer for them. And then others are still really at square one where they haven't figured out that they have to change their procurement policies and they have to create sandbox environments for for smaller companies to engage with them in, that they've thought through that process of, um, yeah, it's it's cool to connect to companies, but how do you elevate it from the entrepreneurial petting zoo version, which we don't allow at 1871, but happens, or the innovation theater sort of checklist that happens when people are at their beginning stages. And it's natural to be there at the beginning stage, but how, you know, it's imperative that they move through that faster so they actually are getting impact and they're not wasting the time and energy of, of young companies. I mean, as you know, going through a procurement process that lasts six to nine months could kill a small company. It just could, they could die while they're waiting. And, and so it, that, that takes time, energy, effort. It takes a culture shift. It probably takes some incentive structure changes. And it certainly requires top-down leadership from the CEO saying, this is important. And therefore, we're going to act with intent and make these choices to allow uh, these connections to happen. Well, I have to say, I have never heard the phrase corporate petting zoo, but I think it's my favorite new phrase. I think it describes the situation perfectly. Um, it, it might be a colorful phrase, but this idea is really important. Big corporations need to mature past the stage where they don't know how to interact with early stage startups or even growth stage startups. It's honestly a bit like watching a kid at a petting zoo with a handful of food who's never seen a goat before. They don't have a clue whether this goat is going to bite their hand off and leave a, a nub uh, or, or it will be a pleasant experience. And so watching how executives interact, especially those in industries we've pioneered, unfortunately, is a bit like watching this, these kids feed the goats. Um, ultimately, they need to make this a priority. They need to learn how to help how to work and develop this competency. These are big players in our region and the money and attention definitely follows closely behind their interests. And if they are paying attention, then their companies will pay attention, their peers will pay attention, and the ecosystem in general, I believe, will grow. And I think it's that simple. But make no mistake, our, our most successful firms are often those industries where we have an, an enormous natural advantage. And I want to pivot here with Betsy and talk a little bit about the natural advantages we have across many different sectors, not just technology. Yeah, so I, I think the mid, I think there's a couple of things from a sector perspective that are an advantage to the Midwest. And I can't speak to all economies, but certainly in Chicago, there's no sector that is more than 13% of our economy. So there's lots of diversity here uh, of, of problems being solved and big companies driving, you know, employment and um, uh, 
you know, performance, productivity, et cetera, I, which I think is a great thing. I think if you think about the Midwest, you think about manufacturing, you think about logistics, you think about supply chain, you think about analytics um, uh, among some of those that we have that we have the right to win because we have, by definition, the expertise here. I do not know, and I, and I but I believe it to be true that we do not, uh, particularly in ag tech, we actually. There aren't as many startups in ag tech as you'd expect, given the region that we have and the and the potential power that we have here. And so I think there's an opportunity for some instigation of ag tech entrepreneurs to grow and build here. Uh, I, I think we are doing quite well on advanced analytics, logistics, supply chain. I think there's lots of big companies in many of the U.S. cities that are uh, sorry, Midwestern cities that are demonstrating that prowess. So what do you think the challenge is that the Midwest has to overcome? And, and maybe some thoughts on ways that we would be best served to start to do that. Well, I think, I think, I think there are two predominant ones, maybe, 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 maybe two and a half. I think um, number one is, is this perception gap where you know, I think most of the world, or certainly most of the United States, think still still uses the phrase "fly by state" or "fly over state," right? They land in Chicago to change planes, but they're not coming into downtown or going into Milwaukee or Indianapolis or Minneapolis, et cetera. And I, so, I think there's a perception gap, and I, th- I think the opportunity we have there is to tell a story better, which I think is part part of at least certainly. From what I understand, a major thrust of what hashtag Midwest is trying to do, which is yeah. how do we tell an integrated story about the Midwest? I mean, I think, frankly, there's an opportunity to tell an integrated story about Chicago, the top down Chicago story, the top down Milwaukee story, the top down uh, Des Moines story. Right. Like, what does that look and feel like? And then how do those things ladder up and how do we operate as an integrated network? Certainly better than we do today, where it becomes undeniable. And I certainly, every talk I give, I, I plant a few, like a public service announcement, I plant a few facts to my audience so that at least if they remember one of them, that that extends the narrative. I think that's number one. I think number two, even with all of, if you are inside one of the Midwestern cities and you're looking out, I think there's also a gap. So major corporations don't think the technical talent is here and technical talent do not think the jobs are here and both couldn't be further from the truth. The second highest producer of computer software engineers every year is Chicago, second only to LA. Not a well-known fact, there's about 970 computer software engineers that get produced out of the higher education system. That's just Chicago. You you know, add in the students graduating from U of I, University of Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, University of Michigan, right? Like, yeah. just to prove the point, that you've got 970 just in Chicago, and then you start to ladder in these other ones, right? That talent is absolutely here, and the jobs are absolutely here, but we have a matching problem. And the matching problem, the matching problems aren't hard to fix. They're way easier to fix, at least, than, than creating demand or creating supply. And then the third thing I would say is, 
on the capital front, I actually think there's lots of capital in the Midwest. I don't know if it's always distributed uh, the way that entrepreneurs would prefer. I think we have an opportunity to continue to expand growth capital. I think we do quite well on early stage capital. But I, but having said that, I still think our capital tends to be more risk averse, more, you know, uh, less likely to write a check if you're excited about a founder, excited about an idea, which is not what's true on the West Coast. You know, it's, it's easier to raise money on the West Coast if you have a good idea and you are, you have, you are yourself a talented person, at least easier than in the Midwest, I, I still hear early stage investors, whether they are angel or institutional, asking things like, well, you know, are you profitable? Well, no, you know, we're not. We're raising a seed round, right? So I, I, there's that's education, but it's also, also a risk aversion that I, that I think we have an opportunity to get better at. We, we've come a long way. Yeah, a long way indeed. And I've heard some incredible stats about our region and how we rank. Certainly the the return on capital, which I didn't mention earlier as one of the assets, is evident. I mean, Chicago is the highest ranked um, return on investment uh, as measured by PitchBook, I think, for the fourth or fifth year in a row. We have the highest median multiple on invested capital. Now, there's reasons for that. Some of those reasons are good and some of them are not so good. I mean, the not so good part is that the valuations in the Midwest tend to be depressed relative to what they would get on the coast. But when they exit, they exit at the same at the level that they would had they grown up on the coast. And so the investors get to ride that elevator up, which is amazing. That is definitely amazing. Do you think our firms in the region are ready for change? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's a good question. I think it's a hard, a hard problem to solve, not because intellectually it's hard, but because it requires behavior change and behavior change is really hard. And if you don't have, if the CEO is, regardless of whether they were the founder or they were the, you know, they're the 50th person to lead the organization, um, they have to believe that this is important. They have to believe that that even if they're not connecting to smaller companies, even if they're just investing in innovation inside their own house, they have to believe that there's some, uh, uh, you know, call to action for them to have for that to happen. And, you know, one, one of the things that I like to say is that the most successful companies in the world are the ones that should be the most concerned about disruption, which some people sort of scratch their head about and you say, well, the, the companies that have already been impacted by disruption are, you know, they're, they've already had an impact to their revenue. They are already in decline. Or gone, um, or gone. Or gone altogether. And so the, the, the most successful ones are the ones that have to keep, keep spinning so that they stay further and further ahead of the competition that is, that is coming after them. And I, I also often say, even if you just look at business model, reinvention and you and you look at you know the the biggest hospitality company in the entire world is Airbnb the biggest music and they don't own any physical assets the basic the biggest music company doesn't doesn't create any of its own music at Spotify <laughs> where you can go right. you can go category by category and this business model uh disruption and complete reinvention not leveraging any of the same 
services, processes, systems as the nearest incumbent. I, I, these CEOs in the Midwest are very talented people. They know that. I think it's, uh, it, but it's hard to get going. And so it's, so that's a long answer. It's not even an answer. It's a long sort of response to your question because I think that this is, this is, um, human generated, right? This is the people have to make the decision to do this. And then other people can surround them with the help on how to get started. You've mentioned storytelling a few times. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I, so I think storytelling is very important on both sides, on things that people have tried and they haven't been successful at. And of course, those that have tried. I also think it's, you know, celebrating the work of people like Scott, Scott Dorsey and Andy Kofoid and that original exact target team or name you know, Jay Shikawa from Field Glass or Matt Maloney from Grubhub or, you know, name, name whatever, name whoever you want to name. I think those are all helpful and interesting, but I think there's also lots of people that have, have are scoring doubles and triples uh, that are also really important to um, celebrate, right? People that sell their, there's a, there's a, a founder that just sold his company for a hundred million dollars, Arnav Dalmia. He's, I don't think he's 30 years old yet. He has, he had $2 million of invested capital from ex- external. That's all he had. And he sold it for just over a hundred million a couple of weeks ago, right? That's a really good outcome for him, for his employees and for the investors. And he's set up now to go start his next thing or invest in other people who are starting theirs. And so I, I think that there's a massive exercise in storytelling. Betsy, would you be able to talk a little bit about 1871 and even uh, Chicago a little bit? I'm quite um, uh, energized by the opportunity in front of us and what we've been able to, how fast we've been able to shift and what that means in terms of how the world is opening up to us to deliver for more people. And remember, we're a nonprofit. Like, I, I don't have a profit motive outside of, you know, <laughs> breaking even, but I do have an impact motivation to serve as many people as possible. And, you know, to date, our alumni companies have created 11,000 jobs in the city of Chicago or Chicago land. And if you assign a random $70,000 a year per year salary to those jobs, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's just shy of $800 million of annual salary impact. Like how do we make that 1.6 billion? How do we make it 5 billion? Right? Like what, 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 what do we have to believe to make those things true? Um, I think that, that's sort of the lens we have. That is an incredible impact um, to the city of Chicago, to the region, to the people and the lives that those uh, startups are affecting. That is just a, a really an incredible um, a statistic. So maybe we'll finish with something uh, related to why people, maybe I'll say it this way. Tell me why do you think the U.S., maybe the world should be a, should be paying attention to the Midwest. Yeah, I think there are three things that the world needs to know about the Midwest and pay attention to it. Uh, one is the customers are here. And the customers are here across a, a wide range of industries. So it's not an industry the customers are here. The customers are here across a wide range of industries. So that's number one. I think number two, the talent is actually is also here. Uh, the technical talent, the non-technical talent, the 
uh, junior talent all the way through senior talent, right? We are, we're here. And, and the third is connected to that, but also connected to kind of the broader sense of living in the Midwest. The cost of living and the, and the opportunity to, uh, raise your family or move from, you know, Paris to Chicago or Tokyo to Chicago or, um, you know, London to Minneapolis, like those opportunities and be able to, to come in and be embraced by, uh, culture and a community that is there to support you, I think is, is, um, very evident and proven day in and day out. And I, 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 and that's not pretend that's real. And, uh, and those of us that have grown up here know that to be true. So, so the customers are here, the talent is here and, and the kind of culture values, cost of living combination, make it a great, great place to live. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very, very much for the time today, Betsy. Sure. And also, thank you for supporting Hashtag Midwest and helping us tell your story. Yep. I'm sure my team will want to use it and spread the word on that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Executive Stories on Hashtag Midwest. And folks, please come help us tell our story. Find us on the web at hashtag Midwest.com and subscribe to learn about new shows and all the incredible stories happening in our region. Do you have a great idea for a guest, a topic, or even a show? please leave us some feedback. And as always, you can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Special thanks to Andy Azinger for producing our show, Todd Dunce for the original music, and New Resources Consulting for sponsoring this episode. Until next time, I'm Jason Montag. Take care. Take care.